Well, good morning, everybody. How are you feeling this morning? Very good. I know I feel better when the sun shines. Um, I hope that we can feel God's warmth shining through as well this morning and his love for us as we come together and be a family and be united and be with our Lord and Saviour as we remember him this morning. Um, Welcome to everyone. Um, I'm just going to say a little opening prayer to bless this service. Lord, our awesome and glorious Father, our Creator, our Provider, you watch over us in every moment of every day. And Lord, we feel so small and so powerless when we know that your your hand guides us. Even when we don't feel it, Lord, you are there. And Lord, this is the one time in the week that we get to come together and break bread and drink wine and remember your son because he commanded us to do so, but because we want to be here, Lord. We're here because we want to focus this time on you, to spend it with people who believe the same thing, who have faith in the same God and have the same hope and the same saviour, Lord. Thank you for that blessing. Thank you for pouring your love out on us this morning. We pray that you will guide every thought, every word, every action and every song. And you will bless us this morning. Lord, we pray that you will be with those who can't be here. For whatever reason, whether it's mental or physical illness, or being away on holiday, enjoying the sunshine elsewhere. Lord, be with those that we missed this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your arms around us. Thank you for being by our sides as we remember you this morning. Please take this to your Father through bless it to him, to us. Amen. Let's start with songs of praise. I've chosen two. Um, Immortal and Invisible, uh, which is I think hopefully some an arousing song to praise God with, uh, followed by um, one of my favourites, Praise the Lord 66. All the other words will be on the screen, um, but I'll tell you what the numbers are just in case you've got books and you want to follow the music. Yeah, well, I invite Steve to come and give us uh, the announcements. Pauline has been transferred now to Wellington House for rehabilitation before going home. Gladys should be going home tomorrow, Monday. And Joe sure that she'd be pleased to see visitors at home if anyone is able to pop in. Nicola is due to have a lumbar puncture on Tuesday this week. Christine had her operation last week and she would really appreciate contact from her brothers and sisters. So if you get a chance to drop her a line or give her a call or pop in, she'd appreciate that. Lynn is suffering at the moment with pain and he's waiting to see a specialist. Aretha, who is a regular at Sunday and Tuesday evenings, has had a lot of pain in her knees and would appreciate our praying for her. Um, we're encouraged to continue to pray for Steve Proven as well. And it is James's last week, last Sunday with us. It's been a pleasure to get to know James. Um, he's got his last exam tomorrow and then he's got what he described as freedom. <laughs> so we pray that you're blessed and you enjoy that time together before you start your new job. And uh, I'm sure we'll be speaking to you later on and giving you some bits and pieces. 
Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Steve. Let's um, let's spend a few moments in the next next few minutes to think about um, those that we want to pray for, those that we feel that we can pray for, that we can bring to God in prayer to look after and to care for. So Steve's already mentioned uh, Pauline, uh, Nicola, Christine, Lynn, Aretha, uh, Jeff, and no, I'm sorry, I've got Jeff written down because Jeff is unable to be here because he's unwell as well, and Steve Proven. Uh, would anyone else like to have someone prayed about? Thank you. That's the, the judge that's overseeing the case for Ralph, um, and I hope that he that they they make the right decision. Okay, that was Val who's back in hospital after chemo and isn't feeling well. Has been feeling has been confused. It's been there for a day or so. Um, needs our prayers. Yeah, so that's uh, Sam Barnes who comes to Friday Club who's uh, got a fractured back um, and is in a lot of pain and discomfort. So that's uh, those all undergoing exams, um, hopefully not too much longer, but uh, it's a stressful time. So that's Angela's nephew uh, who's got secondary liver cancer. Your brother's son. Uh, yeah, it's a hard time. Lee. Okay. Let's approach our Father in prayer. Our God, our Lord, our healer, our sustainer, Father, you watch over us. You hear our thoughts and our the things that we've talked about, the people that we are thinking about, and those who really need you that are on our mind this morning. Not just this morning, but we pray that you'll help us to think of them the rest of the week so that we can continually bring these people, these loved, these loved people to, to you, Lord. That you may bless them, to look after them, to encourage them. And we lift them up to you, Lord. That you might put your hands around them in whatever circumstance that they find themselves in. We find ourselves in, Lord, that you will hug us, hold us tight, show us your love as you constantly do. Lord, help us to let go. Help us to let you take control of our lives. We know that's the, that's the real way that we can let you bless us and our lives be in your, in your hands. It's for us to say, God... You are in control. You know what's best for us. You know what the trials and difficulties will be, and you know how we can tackle them. And that's through you. Lord, we've talked about lots of people this morning that need your love and care in their health. People in this room and people, friends of friends, we hold them up to you, Lord, for you to bless each situation in the way that needs your blessing. Whatever it might be, whatever the outcome is, Lord, we pray that you will be at the centre of it. Lord, we think especially of, uh, of James now as he completes his time at university completes his time here in some ways, Lord, that he spent the time with us sharing his encouragement and his enthusiasm 
and that we have hopefully shared the same back with him. Lord bless him on his journey down south. Not just the travel, Lord, but the journey of changing circumstances and moving on in his life to a job and to a, a new place, to a new home. Lord, we thank you for James. And we thank you for all the other students as well that, that bless us with their, their enthusiasm and their joy, Lord. Thank you so much. Lord, thank you for, for the opportunity to do exams, to, to achieve in life, and to show that we are progressing at the things that we want to do. Lord, bless those who are doing exams this week and help them to go smoothly and well. Lord, thank you for Whitcamp and the many things that it does, that it encourages people and enthuses and shows your love to so many people. But thank you for blessing us with enough people at Old Trafford to be able to keep our doors open and to show your light to the world. And Lord, finally, we thank you always being there for us for knowing even the unspoken things for knowing the things that are on our hearts and for always looking out for them for us and for those we love even when it feels like you're so far away Lord we know you're there please reassure us of this Lord and bless us as we praise and honour your name through your son. Amen. So uh, those of you on emails might have been aware that uh, Richard has stepped in at the relatively last minute, but I'm really looking forward to hearing him speak, as I always do. Um, it's going to be centred mainly around Elijah and Elisha. Uh, so that's what we're going to read firstly. Um, two chapters from Kings. First one from 1 Kings in chapter 19, and Phil's going to lead that for us. And then secondly, from 2 Kings chapter 2, and Sylvia's going to lead that for us. Reading from the Word of our God, 1 Kings chapter 19, from the New International Version. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, and how he had killed all the prophets with a sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank, and then he lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he travelled forty days and forty nights 
until he reached Horeb, the mount, mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came, and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Also, anoint Jehu, son of Nimshai, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, the son of Shaphat, from Abel, Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape with the sword of Haziel, and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve seven thousand in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was ploughing with twelve yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the twelfth pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the ploughing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his attendant. The second book of Kings, chapter 2. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied, but do not speak of it. 
Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. The company of the prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied, but do not speak of it. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Fifty men of the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said, yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours, otherwise not. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them apart. He picked up the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak that had fallen from him and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. When he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. The company of the prophets from Jericho, who were watching, said, The spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. And they went to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. Look, they said, we, your servants, have fifty able men. Let them go and look for your master. Perhaps the spirit of the Lord has picked him up and set him down on some mountain or in some valley. No, Elisha replied, do not send them. But they persisted until he was too ashamed to refuse. So he said, send them. And they sent fifty men who searched for three days and did not find him. When they returned to Elisha, who was staying in Jericho, he said to them, Didn't I tell you not to go? The men of the city said to Elisha, Look, our Lord, this town is well situated, as you can see, but the water is bad and the land is unproductive. Bring me a new bowl, he said, and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went out to the spring and threw the salt into it, saying, This is what the Lord says, I have healed this water. Never again will it cause death or make the land unproductive. And the water has remained wholesome to this day, according to the word Elisha had spoken. From there, Elisha went up to Bethel. As he was walking along the road, some youths came out of the town. 
and jeered at him. Go on up, you bald head, they said. Go on up, you bald head. He turned round, looked at them and called down a curse on them in the name of the Lord. Then two bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the youths. And he went on to Mount Carmel and from there returned to Samaria. Lord, please bless Richard's words and his thoughts to us. And may his words be your words. Through Jesus. Amen. Richard, would you like to come and lead us with your thoughts? I am really sorry. God clearly had nobody better to talk to this morning. Um, But I hope when you hear me speaking, the person that you are really hearing speak to you is Jesus. There are more authentic people who could have spoken to you this morning. There are better speakers. But what I want you to hear when I speak are not my words, but the words of Jesus speaking to you. And now I need three volunteers, maybe from our under-18s. Oliver has been volunteered by his mum. (laughs) Come on. You need to come and stand up. I need two more. Come on, Zach. Can we have a girl, please? I don't want lots of... Oh, look, Dominic's here. Right. Maybe just stand and have a little bit of space. Um, I'm going to give you something. I'm going to give each of you something um, to start off with. Right, Dominic, can you put that on for me? Oliver, can you put that on for me? And Zach, can you put that on for me? Um, while they're getting dressed, I think the things that immediately strike me are A, I need to introduce more colour into my wardrobe, <laughs> and B, I have two more coats than Jesus allows a disciple to have, so maybe I need to give a couple of them away. Um, Dominic. How does that feel? Yeah, like that. Oliver, how are you feeling? Um, it's very heavy. It is heavy. Can you imagine yourself ever wearing anything like that? No. No. <laughs> I'm making myself vulnerable here for you all. Zach. It's quite big. It's quite big. Anything else? Any other feelings that you, you can... It's quite heavy. And none of them really fit properly, do they? Okay, right. Thanks. You may go and sit down. You've been helpful and I've embarrassed you enough. Thanks, Dom. Go and find somebody to help you unzip it. I think your mum will give you a hand. <laughs> so, those young men were wearing my clo- clothes and they all looked a bit ridiculous. Maybe I look ridiculous in them as well. Um, you can tell me that after, don't answer that now. Um, and um, they felt awkward, they didn't fit right. So what did it feel like to inherit somebody's coat? What does it feel like to inherit somebody's cloak? What did it feel, or what did Elisha feel like when he wore the cloak of Elijah? And that is the question I want us to think about this morning. And I've made some of you think about this question for me already, so you know um, where this is going. You see, I don't think there is any accident in the fact that Elijah's cloak appears so often in that story and that clothes appear so often in the stories of important biblical figures. Just think about it practically. This is a culture and a society where clothes were made by hand and you had to go on that whole 
textile journey from shearing your sheep or your goat or beating fibres of flax plants to make linen to spinning thread to weaving it by hand on a hand loom. And those of you who've ever done that trip to Quarrybank Mill and been through that little journey they take you of weaving know how incredibly time-consuming and how incredibly hard work it is to go from fibres to a garment. And it's quite possible that in his lifetime, Elijah only ever owned one cloak. Those things would be really expensive, they would be treasured, they would be mended. That's not something we identify with when it's so easy for us to buy clothes that are effectively disposable and easy to replace. So I can imagine clothes being handed down from generation to generation, the fabric being cut up and reused, as it was in this country until relatively recently. So this thing has its own value as a garment, something to protect you from the searing sun of the Middle East, something to keep you warm in the cold of the night, something to shelter you when you're on a mountain. And what's the journey that Elijah's cloak went through? Elijah's cloak is there as he announces the drought to Ahab, is fed by ravens in Kerith. It's at the house of the widow in Zarephath. It's there as Elijah heals her son. It's there as he meets Obadiah and then Ahab. And it's there as he confronts the prophets of Baal on Carmel and calls down fire from heaven to prove that God, not Baal, is Lord. Elijah's cloak is there, tucked in and out of the way as he runs as fast as he can, um, ahead of Ahab to Jezreel. It's there as Elijah himself flees to Beersheba, meets the angel, returns to Horeb, and there he covers his face with it as God passes by and speaks to him out of all this tumult of earth-shattering, weather-shattering events. The cloak got a better view of God than Elijah did. The cloak was thrown over Elisha in this transfer of power and authority and responsibility from Elijah to Elisha. The cloak was there in all those moments of doubt when Elijah said, why is it me? I'm the only one. I'm not here on my own. I'm no better than my fathers, we read. So that cloak is there in moments of power and authority. It feels and experiences God at work and it's there in those moments of human doubt and weakness. And in some way, even if it's only in our imaginations and perhaps in the imagination of Elisha, it becomes impregnated with all those human stories. It becomes heavy, it becomes weighty with them all. That cloak is there as he confronts Ahab and Jezebel about Naboth, as he confronts Ahaziah about idolatry. It's a hairy garment. It's there as Elijah strikes the Jordan and the waters part, and like Moses before him, they walk across on dry land to the other side. And as Elijah is taken away in that whirlwind, when they see the chariot and horses of fire, Elisha tears his own clothes. He rips off his old servant's clothes. He casts them aside in an act of mourning and then in that great act of succession he takes Elijah's cloak heavy with Elijah's weakness and his failure and with his working of the power of God and he takes it on to himself and it's there throughout his own journey um, until his death. So what does Elijah's cloak 
feel like? Well, I asked some of you, what do you think it feels like? And some people said, yeah, it's heavy. It's heavy because Elijah was a hard act to follow. Maybe it was too big a job to try and fill Elijah's shoes. Maybe Elisha got carried away when he calls down um, those animals on um, the people insulting him. What did Elijah's cloak feel like? Well, what should it feel like for us? Would we have chosen Elijah's cloak filled with doubt and uncertainty and stories of less than brave or courageous things? Would we have chosen Elijah's cloak with all those acts of power and God's um, might at work in creation and said, yeah, I want that for myself too, or maybe that burden feels too hard for us to bear? Maybe we just take the more light-hearted and pragmatic view. Maybe it was hairy. Maybe I, um, Elijah's cloak was you know, this um, hairy, uncomfortable garment that um, Ahaziah recognised in the story. Maybe it was nothing more than a bit of mangy old um, horse or camel hair that was just there as a functional garment. Maybe it didn't feel heavy at all. Maybe it actually felt light because it symbolised the power of God to do things that are above and beyond anything that Elijah or Elisha or us could imagine ourselves doing. Maybe it felt like a second skin. Maybe Elisha and Elijah felt it as, you know, their own covering part of them as they did God's work. Maybe it was their destiny, their natural expectation that this cloak, this work of God in their lives um, was part of them too. Maybe, as people might see those clothes that those three young men wore, they say, oh yeah, that's Richard's coat. And maybe when people saw Elisha wearing Elijah's cloak, they went, oh yeah, here is another prophet Elijah's successor, he must be the same righteous, holy, prophetic and powerful voice of God speaking to us as that great man that we knew and recognised. And that's the question I'd like you to take, because those are only some answers. So what did Elijah's cloak feel like? You have to work that out for yourself, and then you have to start thinking about, well, what does that question mean for me? And what does it mean for us? What does this story about this cloak and this inheritance mean for us. Nothing in here is superfluous or wasted. It's all here to teach us something important. We've just got to listen for the questions and ask God to provide us with the answers. And when I was thinking about what I was going to say to you this morning and issues that I know that we are wrestling with as a church, that I wrestle with as a disciple, the message that I heard is about creating disciples, about building a new church to succeed us. Just as God told Elijah, it's time for you to go. It's time for you to get out of the way and bring up this young man, Elisha, to succeed you. You've done everything I asked you to, Elijah. In spite of your doubt and your weakness, you have done great things. And in your uncertainty about your own future, I am going to reassure you that I still have work to do. You are not on your own now, because there are hundreds of other people who acknowledge me as God, 
and your life has not been wasted because you have an inheritance to pass on to somebody younger than you. But your job is to step out of the way. And you see that in that passage that Sylvia read so beautifully and sensitively for us from the second book of Kings. There's this journey that Elisha and Elijah go through. They go from one place to another, and each time the narrator of the story reminds us, Elisha saying, I know he's going, don't speak about it. I know he's going, don't speak about it. I know he's going, don't speak about it. And it's as though, as we're being led through this story, as Elisha is being led through this physical journey, he is being told again and again and again, it's time to step into Elijah's shoes. Elijah, it's time for you to step out of the way. They go on this physical journey of handing over power and responsibility and the work of God from the older to the younger. They go on this journey which allows Elijah to depart, Elisha to take on that cloak, that inheritance that he's been given by the great man that came before him and recognise it as his destiny. The Bible is full of other stories like that. I've picked out the story of Elijah and Elisha. But you could think about Moses delegating authority down to judges to share the work of ruling the people of Israel. You could think about Jesus in his resurrection power, appearing his disciples and breathing on them and sending them out to go and do his work. Because powerful as he was, there was one of him and there were 11 of them and then 24 and so on exponentially until the word of God spread throughout the world. And we as a church, we have so many new members who've come to us from other countries and other places, who've come to us from different church backgrounds, who've grown up within our family. And it's my job to get out of the way. And it's the job of a lot of you to get out of the way as well. Because as Pete said, nearly 12 months ago, the future of the church does not belong to me or Pete or Neil or Steve it belongs to all the new people that in different ways God continues to bring to us through the work of authentic and faithful people. I think about my life growing up when I was a young man. I was a student um, at Warwick. I went to a church in Kenilworth and there were some people there, Mike Hardy's brother David, who mentored me and who looked after me and let me try stuff on the platform and make mistakes and say really silly things and do things that didn't work or upset and offended people. But gently, they helped me to grow and become, hopefully, the better person that I am today. People like Avril and Ian McAfee, who felt that I had something to say to somebody and gave me this opportunity to stand up and practice and speech and then pick me up when it went a bit wrong and my talk was mainly ums and very few actual words of blessing and gave me another go and gave me another go. And for people of my generation and older, that's our job now. Our job is to step out of the way Our job is to make this place as safe as it can possibly be for Jess and Zach and Jacob and Maz and you guys at the back and Lynn when he's here and Patricia to bring something and say something and share to God. Share that with us and with God. It's our job now to step out of the way. Um, There are lots of ways that can happen. We've got to do more, we've got to do better about discipling and mentoring people. Um, I do a bit, 
somebody came and asked me to mentor them. That was very flattering because um, they're clever and more knowledgeable than I am. And I don't really feel that I've learned very much, but it seems to be working so far. And you can find out who that person is afterwards and ask them candidly how well they think that's working. But if that person can find somebody to mentor them, you can too. All of you can find somebody else to be accountable to, to ask questions of, to help you grow and develop. There is nobody in this room who will not and cannot benefit from that. And there is nobody in this room who cannot shape and mould and develop and give somebody their inheritance. There is nobody who can't be mentored. There is nobody in this room who can't mentor somebody else. You all have different lifetimes, experiences of being disciples to share. And those things impregnate your life and the way that you live, just as all those things that happened to Elijah impregnated his cloak when he handed it over to Elisha. And all those things can be your gift to somebody else, as long as you're willing to share it with them, and as long as you're prepared to do so gently and safely. So what do we do? What do we do now? We all need to repent. All good work has to start with repentance. There will all be times, there will be times for all of us where we have, in a prayer that we've given, in a conversation that we've had, we have broken somebody down rather than built them up. When we've criticised them and broken that little fragile spirit in them that says, I thought I had something to share. I had some ideas that I wanted to try out. And if we're criticising people in a destructive way, those plants will die, just as I killed my one remaining courgette plant yesterday by over-vigorous hoeing in the garden. It's there now, this little sort of dried-out fragment of something that it could become. Our job is to make this place and all the different things it does as safe as we possibly can and proactively look out for opportunities for people to try stuff out, take part, have a go, and pick them up afterwards and say, that was great, let's have another go. That was great, let's have another go. And eventually they will grow up and become great inheritors of everything that's been built in this place since it was established. When you have repented, when we have repented, because we all need to do that, if you would like somebody to mentor you, think about who that would be and go and ask them. And if you're too scared to have that conversation, speak to me, one of the other overseers team, one of the elders, somebody that you respect in the church and say, I would really need some help with this. Who do you think would be good for this? And then work together to find somebody that that works for. And I ask you in return, when that approach is made, to be willing. It doesn't have to be very often, it doesn't have to take up very much time, but that is the greatest gift that you can give now to somebody new in our church. And if you've got any sort of responsibility for anything, Tuesday club, Friday club, standing up here on a Sunday morning, Bible class, the Bible reading group, who can you encourage and develop and mentor? Who can you give a little go-to in those safe spaces and say, give it a go, I'll help you, I'll support you, because one day I'm not going to be here, I'm going to step out of the way and this is your inheritance and I want you to seize this moment and take it. And particularly, teenagers, young people, where are you? This church 
will welcome with open arms your ideas and your suggestions and your enthusiasm and your involvement. But sometimes you've just got to ask. I don't think we're ignoring you willfully or deliberately, but we might be doing so because we've got so used to and comfortable in doing this stuff all the time that we've forgotten to think, well, actually, maybe somebody can do this better or maybe I can train and develop somebody to do this better on our behalf. So their job is to get out of the way and your job is to come and ask. And that is my message this morning. Think for yourselves about the inheritance that you are going to give as members of this church to somebody else. Think about the cloak that you have woven through the fabric of your lived experience as a disciple and how are you going to pass that on. Because now is the time, right now, not next year, not in two years' time, not in five years' time, right now is the time for us to be building an inheritance and passing that on to the next generation. And this, I hope, is what Jesus is saying to us as a message this morning. And as we share bread and wine together, we think about him in his risen power, breathing on his first disciples as he breathes his Holy Spirit power into us, saying, go and make disciples of the whole world. And I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Thanks, Richard. Lots to think about and to, to focus our minds on as we share the bread and the wine. The thing that, symbol that Jesus gave us, showing us our inheritance, what God has given us as our inheritance, and ultimately what the responsibility that he then gives to us to share that with others, to show others the love that God has shown us. Let's sing uh, together firstly before we pass the bread and wine around. Faithful God, all-sufficient one, I worship you. Shalom, my peace, my strong deliverer. I lift you up, faith. Jesus gave us his example, gave us his direction for our lives. And we break the bread now to remember his body broken on the cross, his sacrifice of giving himself up for others just as he calls us to do in our everyday lives for each other and ultimately for him and for God. Neil. Lord Jesus, you know that I go long stretches without giving a thought to what you've done for me, to your kingship in my life, to what you've done for the world in showing us your Father's love. And I'm sorry, Lord. But you know us also well, and you know that we need uh, this regular time when we can come and remember you. You've given us something so simple um, and so meaningful to do together, to remember that you gave your life to to show us your love and your mercy and your Father's love and his mercy and that you want us to be close to you. You want us to be your family. And we thank you for that. We thank you that you know us so well. And as we share this bread together, I pray that you will um, help us to remember more often, help us to be aware more often of 
the fact that you are our saviour, that you are our king, and that you've given us a job, Lord. And I pray that as we share this bread, uh, we will we will let you into our hearts more and that you will help us to do what you've asked, which is to go into all the world and to make disciples. And help us to remember that you did promise, as Richard mentioned, that you are with us always, till the end of the age, till you come again, and we can share this meal with you face to face. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's share this bread together. As we share bread and wine, as we share this wine, Jesus offers it as an example, as a symbol of the promise, the covenant, the promise that he gave us, that God gave us of our inheritance. And that amazing inheritance is life and love and the kingdom and being with Jesus. So let's, let's pray and thank God for this wine and pass it between us now. Andrew. Faithful God, all-sufficient one, we come before you now and this wine is a physical reminder, Lord, of the sacrifice of Jesus. And Lord Jesus, we thank you Words cannot express how much we thank you. You don't want just words, do you, Jesus? You want the actions of our lives. And this one reminds us of when Jesus said, not my will but yours be done. And I think how often I'm more interested in my will, not yours, Father. And I think that's true for all of us. So we come here this morning to repent and to think of that promise and that new covenant. Have how you're always alongside us and help us to recommit to the time when we put on Christ, when we committed ourselves to you, Lord Jesus. Help us to always let you be alongside us and may we be alongside one another to help and build, as we've been thinking this morning, and together as a church and also individually, the people we meet, may we show that we have put on Christ. We thank you for this hope, Lord, and be with us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. My, uh, my wife often accuses me of, uh, or tells me off for not being enthusiastic enough um, in many respects in my life. And uh, I've actually been accused of it. Could you believe it? Of being not joyous enough on stage. Um, so let's not beat ourselves up about what we could have had this week, but what we can have next week and the opportunity that God gives us and how much he loves us and how much he wants us to love him back. Let's go out with song and praise and joy and uh, I've got three songs lined up. So let's thank God, thank Jesus for saving us, because there is a Redeemer. And these are the days of Elijah. After this, um, Trevor's going to close in prayer. Lord Jesus, it's our custom generally that when we pray, our eyes are shut. 
my eyes are open and I'm looking around at your church. I'm looking around at your family. I'm looking at your brothers and sisters. And I'm doing that and I'm not seeing them. Because actually, they've put on you. We're clothed with righteousness. We're clothed with peace. We're clothed with grace. And this cloak doesn't feel too heavy. And yet, sometimes the voices in our heads tell us otherwise. And they keep going on at us and reminding of us of all our failings, of all our shortcomings, of all our difficulties, of all our problems, of all our troubles, of all the stuff that doesn't make us feel joyful. So Jesus, do what you do best and just wrap that cloak a little bit tighter so that we can feel you and we can experience you every moment of every day. And just let's take that picture with us. That when we stand in glory... We will see your face and we will praise our God forever in that holy place. Thank you for speaking through Richard this morning. And thank you for being you. Help us to embrace you and love you and show you to the people around And help us encourage ourselves to step out of the way so people see you. Amen.